And welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 88, episode 88. And so yesterday, um, we concluded with the book of Esther. I highly recommend you go through those two episodes. Uh, the book of Esther is simply awesome. And so we're going to continue on in the, probably, um, probably shouldn't say this, I don't know, but one of my two least favorite books in the Bible, at least as of now, Again, when you get into the Word, you enter into a stage of progressive revelation. And so as you get more revelation, as time goes on, you get, you get older, you gain more wisdom, then certain things that you didn't really appreciate before start to, start to become appreciable. And, um, and, and that's probably where I am with the, with the book of Job. Um, Job is um, you know, one of those things that I don't look forward to reading. But every time I do, I do glean more and more out of it, even though I find it to be a very hard read. Uh, and, and one of the reasons is, um, well, let me just, again, I'm using the, the Christian um, Standard Bible um, and uh, uh, Dr. Tony Evans. It's his uh, commentary Bible, so his comments are throughout the Bible. And uh, as an introduction for this book, this is one of the things that he writes. One of the key truths to grasp from the book of Job is that we must trust God even when we cannot understand him, even when he is thoroughly confusing to us. And for me, that kind of sums up the book. We haven't gotten into it yet, but a lot of things happen and I don't understand. And that's that's fine with me. That's cool with me because, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not God. I, I if, if God is God and he can create the heavens and the earth and everything above and below, then there has to be things that he knows that I don't know. And so if I can totally and completely comprehend everything about him, then from my standpoint, how can he be God? So it stands to reason that there are several things, probably an infinite number of things that I cannot uh, comprehend and do not understand. And I find those things in the book of Job. And so from a time standpoint, <clears throat> this is said to be, uh, tradition would have it, Jewish tradition would have it, that uh, it's sometime in uh, the time of Moses. And so we're going back. And so we were in like uh, 450 BC or so and um, in the previous books in Ezra, Nehemiah and whatnot. But now we're going backwards. And so we're going back to the time of Moses. <clears throat> and so the author, nobody really knows who the author is. And so it's just, it's a mystery. We don't know. And so with those things as, as kind of uh, precursors to us getting into the book, let's get into the book and see what it has to say. <clears throat> so we find out in chapter 1, in verse 1, there was a man in the country of Uz named Job. And before I go any further, I will say this, as we start getting into um, uh, the, the, the chapters with dialogue as far as Job and his friends are concerned, it, it's kind of, the prose is kind of poetic, you know, the way they speak to each other. It, 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 it's poetic the way they speak, and so therefore sometimes they're using references that you really have to dig into to understand, okay, what is he saying, you know, and so... Um, because they're, I guess, you know, they're using a lot of common phrases of the day and that sort of thing. But anyway, let's go on. It says, he was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Verse 2, he had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 
3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So we see here that Job was, Job was not some scrub. I mean, Job was a, was a rich and a powerful and a respected man. You know, he had influence and whatnot. So he wasn't just some schlub, you know, out there. He was a man of high integrity, high character, uh, highly thought of, and, and very influential. And so then we see in verse 4, his sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send his children, Job would send for his children and purify them, uh, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned having cursed their God in their hearts, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So we see that Job was very committed to his family. And um, one of the things here is Job kind of puts me to shame in this regard. You know, he, you know, he, he, he is showing a degree of consistent care and concern for his children that sadly I don't think I have lived up to all of the time. And so, you know, it says whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, raising, uh, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for them all. For he thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. And so he was very concerned with the status of his children. In verse 6, one day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. <clears throat> the Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? <laughs> and Satan says, from roaming the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Now, now we find an interesting scripture in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 8, and it says, uh, when Peter is giving a word of encouragement and knowledge and wisdom to the church, and he's saying at the, at the conclusion of the chapter, basically, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Not that he is a roaring lion. But it says your adversary, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. And so could it be that we have here in Job that when God asks him, what are you doing here? What have you been doing? He says, roaming around the earth. It had been that he'd been roaming around the earth, walking on it, looking for those to devour. That's his occupation. That's what he does. <clears throat> In verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Uh, verse 9, Satan answered the Lord, does Job, fear, does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, Satan is saying, you know, Job has a reason to fear you. <laughs> Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and uh, everything he owns? Have you blessed the work? Uh, you have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so Satan is basically saying to God, yeah, Job is a man of integrity and fears you and this, that, and the other, because you've done all this stuff for him. And so why wouldn't you? But take all this stuff away and see what's really in his heart. 
In verse 12, very, very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Now, this is one of the things that bothers me because it sounds like the Lord and Satan are in this negotiation with regard, and, and Job is a pawn in this game. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. But there's one thing that is revealed here is that the devil can't do anything. Satan can't do anything without God's permission. And so what that means is, is that his power is limited. He's not all powerful and whatnot the way some people present him. His power is limited. And this shows clearly that he is underneath God. He is not above God. He is underneath God. And so in verse 13, as we go on, one day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the, ox and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while that servant uh, was still talking, he was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. When that messenger was still speaking, another one came and said, um, the Chaldeans have formed three bands, made a raid uh, on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died. And I have escaped, I alone have escaped to tell you. So we have four things here that happened to Job in rapid succession. You know, his, his, his uh, oxen and donkeys wiped out. His uh, sheep wiped out. His camels wiped out. In all three of those cases, all the servants that were tending to them wiped out with the sword. And then his children, house collapsed, they're wiped out. And so all of this, you know, happened, you know, probably within a matter of minutes. Boom, 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 boom. In verse 20, then Job stood up, tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, naked I came in from my mother's room and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, uh, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. My goodness gracious, this dude has lost everything in a short period of time. Not just property, but family. All his kids. He did not blame God. He reasoned, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Chapter 2, verse 1. One day the sons of God came again, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. I find that interesting. Satan came to present himself before God. What was in that presentation? I don't know. Again, the Lord asked him, where have you come from? And Satan says, from roaming the earth and walking around on it. Again, I believe to seek to devour, kill, and destroy. Verse 3, 
Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. So here it sounds like, you know, Satan has like tricked God into doing something that he didn't want to do. And so it's another one of those things that I don't understand. In verse four, skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones. And he will certainly or he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with terrible boils from um, uh, the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And so, you know, here we see that again, the Lord and Satan are talking. And the Lord says, okay, you can infect him. You know, you can do something to his person, but you can't kill him but you can do anything else. And so he's got this boil thing going on. And so in verse nine, his wife, his being uh, Job's wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. This is his wife. <laughs> she's saying, Look, I'm tired of you. Just curse God and die. You know, <laughs> anyway, verse 10, uh, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. He told her, should we accept only good from God and not uh, adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So he was still maintaining his integrity, even though now he was being physically assaulted. Verse 11. Now when uh, Job's three friends, Eliphaz, uh, Bildad, and Zophar, heard about uh, all this uh, adversity that had happened to him, each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize, and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they, when they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept aloud, and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air and on his head. And so we see here now, based on his three friends' reactions, they were boys. These were Job's boys, because when they saw him and they saw the condition he was in, uh, they were just... Um, they were beside themselves. You know, they were, par they were partners. These weren't just three schlubs that, you know, came along. These guys were boys. And so uh, then in verse 13, it says, Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. And so for a week, they just sat with him. Nobody said anything. They just sat with him because they saw, saw how intense his suffering was. And then let's move into chapter three. So let's get into some of this dialogue now. Like I said, it can get very poetic. I'm just going to hit certain points, but I um, recommend that you go through and you read the entirety of, of what's happening here. And so in uh, verse three, excuse, uh, excuse me, chapter three, verse one, after this, Job began to speak and cursed the day he was born. He said, may the day I was born perish. <laughs> he didn't. He, you know, he's questioning the purpose of his birth. In verse 5, it says, May darkness and gloom reclaim it. And so, may darkness and gloom re uh, reclaim the day that he was born. You know, he, he's, he's like, why am I here? Let's skip down to verse 11. It says, uh, Why was I not stillborn? Why didn't I die as I, as I came from the womb? Why did the knees, uh, why did the knees receive me? And why were there breasts for me to nurse? Now I would certainly be lying down in peace. 
In other words, he's saying, if, if nobody was there to feed me, if I was stillborn and, and whatever, and if I died then, then today I would be in peace and I wouldn't be suffering these things that I'm suffering. Let's drop down to verse 16. Or why was I not hidden like a miscarried child, like infants who never see daylight? Wow, you can see the kind of pain that Joel uh, that Job is in. He's like, you know, why was it? I should have been miscarried. I just I just should not be here. You know, verse twenty five. It says, "For the thing I feared has uh, overtaken me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I cannot relax or be calm. I have no rest, for turmoil has come." And so I guess we can say that one of the things he feared would be the loss of family because he's saying that the thing I feared has overtaken me. And so because he lost family, and so what he was afraid of happening has happened. He says he can't relax or be calm, and that he has no rest, for ter- turmoil has overcome me. And so we can see that he's just in, um, he's in a dire state here. And so the first friend um, gives his response in chapter 4. It says, then Eliphaz replied, should anyone try to speak with you when you are exhausted? Yet who can keep from speaking? He says, you know, we shouldn't speak from you because we know you're tired, but we're not liking what we're hearing that you're saying is essentially what he's saying. So how can I keep from speaking? Indeed, you have uh, you have instructed Yes, indeed, you have instructed many and have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have um, steadied the one who was stumbling and braced the knees that were buckling. And so he's acknowledging, yes, Job, you have helped all these people, essentially, who were beneath you, he, who needed your guidance, who needed your strength, who needed your wisdom, and you have, yes, in fact, helped them. But now that this has happened to you, you have become exhausted. It strikes you and you are dismayed. In other words, what he's saying is when it was happening to everybody else, Job, you were assisting them and this, that, and the other, and it was all good. But now that this has befallen you, now that these events have taken place in your life, now it's saying that you're dismayed, you know, and, and implying that you didn't exhibit the, uh, a degree of dismayment, if there's such a word, um, when you were helping these other people. He said, but now that it's you, now that it's your family, now that it's your property, now that it's your wealth, not now that it's your life, you know, things are different. <laughs> In verse 7, he says, consider who has perished when he was innocent. And so, in other words, Eliphaz is saying, look, innocent people don't experience this stuff. So there must be something going on in your life that wasn't right. When have the honest been destroyed? Again, he's implying the same thing. In my experience, those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. So essentially, he's telling Job, you've done something. You have sowed something, and now you're reaping the consequences of whatever it is that you sowed. And so he's pointing his finger at Job. This is the reason that you're suffering, because you did something. And so uh, if we go on to chapter 5, he says, that, let's drop down to verse 8. However, if I were you, this is Eliphaz talking, uh, I would appeal to God and would present my case to him. And so he's again making the assumption that, Job, you've done something to bring this about in your life. And so instead of whining about it, why don't you make an appeal to God okay, and present your case to him? Let's go to verse 17. Again, this is chapter 5. See how happy is the person whom God corrects. 
So do not reject the, the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also bandages. He strikes, but his hand also heals. He will rescue you from six calamities. No harm will touch you in seven. And, you know, that's a part of the poetic language here. But anyway, he's saying that, look, if you turn to God, you know, because we, we all know that you did something. We all know that you're guilty. Uh, don't reject his discipline because eventually it will be for your good. But again, the underlying assumption is that Job did something wrong. And so it's not even uh, a consideration to Eliphaz that Job maybe did nothing wrong. And this is befalling him for some other reason or maybe no reason at all. But in his theology, uh, uh, Job had to do something in order to experience the pain that he was experiencing. And then drop down to verse 27, he says, We have investigated this, and it is true. Hear it and understand it for yourself. And so in other words, you know, you need to hear what I'm telling you, bro, because I know this is true. Just repent, turn to God, you know, accept your punishment, but then turn to God, state your case before him, plead for forgiveness, and then, you know, everything will be right again. But again, the underlying assumption is that Job did something wrong. And so, and he's, Eliphaz is convinced of this. You can't convince him of anything otherwise because this is what he believes. And we have to remember again that these guys are boys. These aren't strangers. I mean, they're, they're close friends. And so with that, we will pick up uh, Job's response in chapter 6 tomorrow. Okay, so everybody have a blessed day as we continue on in the book of Job. Bye-bye now.